Thanks for listening to one of our messages at Crossroads Bible Church. We gather on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. in person and online. To find out more about our church or to connect to any of our ministries, visit our website at crossroadsbible.org. We hope you enjoy the message and pray it encourages you as you seek to follow Jesus. Hey guys, good morning. How are we today? Good. Here at Crossroads, we like to begin each of our sermons by taking just a moment to pray. We always want to pray that um, the Lord would give us a sense of unity and worship together and not a, a critical spirit and a critical heart, that we could come together to be contributors to the conversation of faith as opposed to being critical this morning, because our culture trains us to be critical. So let's take just a moment, and we're going to pray together. And I'm just going to be honest with you guys right up front today. If in this, if you don't mind just saying a prayer for me, I've kind of had a cold this week, and I kind of had some NyQuil last night, (laughs) and I'm having a little bit of a hard time this morning. All right, let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for the privilege of coming together to be able to worship you. Lord, we acknowledge that it is for our greatest good to come together to praise your name, to magnify you, to glorify you. Jesus, teach us to do that right now. Help us to not have a critical spirit but help our hearts to be overflowing with love, your love, your goodness, your mercy, your compassion. Thank you for this time together. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, I'd like to begin today by reading Reinhold Niemer's famous prayer. A lot of you know it, probably by heart. It's often quoted. It's usually on signs and stuff. My mother had it hanging right outside of the kitchen uh, growing up, and I I read it like every day. Only just a couple of years ago did I know that there was more to the prayer than just the first three lines. Uh, I'd like to begin by reading it for us. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, taking this world as it is and not as I would have it. Trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next, amen. Isn't that what we really all want? The wisdom to know the difference, the difference between what we can change and what we can't change. You know, um, this series we've been looking at um, in Romans 15, uh, 12 to 15, we've been looking at conflict and how to deal with conflict. Wouldn't it be so nice if we understood, we had the wisdom to know what we can change and what we can't change? Oftentimes what we wanna change is the way that people think. We want to change their opinions. Oftentimes when we 
we come into conflict, like things are so clear to us. So why can't other people just see it the way we do, right? So our text today, um, we're moving into our very last section. This is our, our last week in this, uh, in this series. It's on chapters fifth, chapter 15, verses one through six. And you know, the chapter of divisions were not original. Did you know that? Paul didn't write the chapter divisions in his letter. They were actually added in the 1550s. They were added like street addresses to help us locate text more quickly, and they're really helpful. But Brit is always lamenting that they put them in the wrong places. <laughs> and so our text today actually is one continuous thought from all that Paul has said in chapter 14. And it was all about conflict and how to deal with conflict. The whole passage is about wisdom. So in this series, just kind of to recap, in case this is the first week that you've been here, what we've been talking about is how the Roman church, Paul's words to the Roman church, uh, were timely and needed because they were in the middle of a conflict. And what they had happening was they had the Jewish believers who had been, who'd grown up their whole life to understand the proper ways to worship God. And then they had these new Gentile believers who were new to the faith. And what we had is the Emperor Claudius actually expelled all the Christians from Rome and they had to leave. And then after about five years, they were able to come back. And so when they came back, you know what they were expecting? They were expecting that there was going to be no church left at all but they were very surprised when they came back and found that there was actually a thriving church of Gentile believers. But guess what the Gentile believers weren't doing? They weren't following all of the Jewish dietary restrictions. They weren't worshiping on the right days and the right holidays. And so when you have the Jewish Christians coming back in, you've got this great conflict going on. You've got this ethnic cultural upheaval that is happening, and the future of the church is at stake here. And so Paul's words are of utmost importance to us. And, and so we can look at, at this conflict and think, well, that's really silly, isn't it? I mean, that's just kind of petty. Like, we would never think that eating the right things, what I can eat and what I can eat, and what days and times um, are the right time for worship, we just don't think of those things as being things that's worth fighting over, right? But to them, it was actually very important. It was very serious because what was really at stake was their acceptability to God. So if you think about it, what Paul had been just been saying, what we looked at last week in all of chapter 14, Paul was talking about eating uh, meat that had been sacrificed to idols. So if I eat meat that has been sacrificed to an idol, is it somehow, I don't know, like infected? <laughs> is it tainted with demons? Does, when I eat it, does it make me unacceptable to God? Or if I don't worship God on the right days, does God find me unacceptable, unpleasing? And so this was like an actual real problem because the thing that you and I need the thing that we need more than anything else is we need to know that we are deeply connected to God. 
That's what we all need. And so when you have a church conflict that tells you that you're not acceptable to God, that's serious. That's like a major, major wounding. You know, there have been lots of things that have caused conflict in the church over the years. Um, just to, to name a couple that we were talking about this week is um, I, I have family members who really get up in arms about which version of the Bible is the right version to read from. And uh, Charlie was lamenting this week that when he first started, someone said to him, um, when did we start letting pastors not wear, church, uh, not wear shirts to church? And the guy was like, and he was, I, was like I, I, have a sh- I, I have a shirt on. And, and what he meant was it, did, it didn't have a collar. <laughs> he had a stylish V-neck that he was supporting and he wasn't wearing a collar. You know, and sometimes when we think about the silliness of church fights, you know, I always think about the color of the carpet, right? And uh, I mean, I think there are some places in this church Some wallpaper in this church used to be that it ought to have caused a fight. (laughs) But thankfully, with some love and some paint, uh, some of those places have uh, been updated, right? But in all seriousness, when, when I think of church conflicts that Um, are rooted in the acceptability or unacceptability of God, the place that I always go is is the 90s purity movement. So I have watched the documentaries and, you know, seen the books. Um, Josh uh, Harris, I believe his name is, wrote a book called um, I Kiss Dating Goodbye. Do Do you remember that book? Are you familiar with it? He had no idea when he wrote that book the popularity, all of a sudden, the, the interest in this book. And it pushed him like front and center stage of the whole purity movement. And it, it promoted him actually to pastor of a mega church all at the whopping age of 21. See, time hadn't grown him yet. He didn't have the wisdom He didn't have the maturity of character to understand the responsibility that he had. And now he's, you know, writing these documentaries and books and stuff, you know, saying, I realize I hurt people because there are all kinds of young people now who are coming up from the church saying the whole purity movement did them far more harm than it did them good. For me, I think back to when, before we came to Crossroads, um, when we were going to church, I think like nine out of 10 lessons that my kids heard at church was about sexual purity. And it's not that God doesn't care about our sexual purity and our kids' sexual purity. It's that when you hear that so often, you become to believe that my acceptability to God is based on my actions and my behavior. We change the gospel. We make it be something that it's not. Maybe you can think of another time, another situation that was something that the church did to wound somebody. When you listen to them, their comments usually aren't very tempered or mild, are they? Because there is no wounding 
like a church wounding. There is no wounding like a church wounding. When, when people have questions and doubts, when they have um, circumstances in their life that are kind of like they're struggling with it and the church comes in and shames them, it's a wound we just can't get over. And the thing about it is, is that conflict often wounds us, but unity, unity heals us. Unity speaks a better word to us. It's unity that represents the love that is held between the Father and the Son and the Spirit. Unity tells us a better story of God's goodness. It's unity that lets us see people as people who are dearly loved by God, no matter what shirt they're wearing, no matter which version of the Bible they want to read. It's wisdom that helps us to know how to love people well. Wisdom is what helps us to navigate through conflict. Wisdom helps us to see a person and to really listen to them, to take the time to stop and hear them, and to understand how to best point them into the ways of Jesus, and not to just reduce um, godliness down to sin management. So in our, in our text, uh, last week we looked in chapter 14, and in there Paul addressed both the weaker believer and the stronger believer. He told Uh, the weaker believer, not to judge the actions and the thoughts of others. That's what we talked about last week. And he told the strong not to despise the weak. In chapter 15, however, Paul is addressing only the stronger believer, just the stronger believer, okay? And I want to take just a second to think about that. Because if you think about who he's talking to, who is he calling the stronger believer? Is it the Gentile? Or is it the Jew? It's the Gentile. It's the Gentile, the new believer that he's calling the stronger one. They're the ones who are not hung up over the dietary restrictions, right? And for those of us who've been Christians for decades, that's kind of hard to stomach sometimes. The idea that we could be the weaker brother when we're the ones who know so much, how could that be, right? But that is the case here. So I just want to point that out, that sometimes we can have been Christians for a long time and know a whole lot of things, but our actions are still very immature. In this case, um, the Gentiles needed to, um, they, they had the liberty down, but the part that they needed to grow into was patience and forgiveness and self-control where the Jews may have already had down the knowledge and the self-control part, and they needed to grow in their liberty. See, it just takes just a little bit of a difference of an angle for us to be the weaker or the stronger. Really, this passage is for both of us. So though he's speaking to the strong and giving advice to the strong, we know that he's talking to all of us, whether um, which situation is which. So let's jump in and look at our text, okay? All right, I'm going to read for us Romans chapter 15, verses 1 through 6. But we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not just please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good and build him up. 
For even Christ did not please himself, but just as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the former times was written for our instruction, so that through endurance and through encouragement of the scriptures, we may have hope. Now may the God of endurance and comfort give you unity with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus, so that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Give me the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. See, what Paul is saying here in this passage to the strong believer is that we need to know the wisdom. We need to have the wisdom to know the difference. Because sometimes what we need, in chapter 14, he's been talking the whole time about, hey, Gentile believers, don't offend your Jewish brothers by what you eat. We said last week that we need to let love limit our liberty. And that's what it's all about, right? But let me tell you what Paul is not saying here. Paul is not saying that we're just to acquiesce all the time to everything a weaker believer wants, right? That's not what he's saying at all. You can see that in verse two. In verse two, he said, we're to build each other up. It wouldn't do us any good if we always just acquiesce to the weaker believer. No one would ever get built up in their their faith. I love what... um, S. Lewis Johnson Jr. said, this is a quote from him, he says, strong believers should avoid confirming legalists in their weaknesses by continually yielding on the things that offend the legalist. It is the responsibility of weak legalistic believers to grow to strength. And that can hardly be done if the strong always yield without explanation. Then the life of the body of believers becomes determined by the narrowest and the most prejudiced of its members. So a good way to think about this, a good question to ask yourself is, what is it that is grieving me in this situation? Is the thing that is bothering me, is it that their liberty is being um, squashed, or is it mine? What is it that I'm wanting? Am I wanting freedom for them, or am I wanting freedom for me? When we stop and ask ourselves in the middle of a conflict, like, why am I angry? What am I actually mad about? Am I mad for me or am I mad for them? See, Paul is is asking us, he's challenging us to care for the other person, to do what is in their best interest, what is their best good. In verse 3, Paul tells us that Jesus is our example to follow. So let's pause on Romans for just a second. Let's hop over to the, new, um, to the Gospels and let's look at a couple of examples of Jesus and how he handled situations when he was in conflict with others. So first, let's look at Luke 14. The Pharisees are complaining that Jesus is not keeping uh, the Sabbath properly. So what's happening is uh, he and his disciples are walking through a field. They, uh, his disciples reach out and grab some of the grains of wheat They rub them together in their hands and then they're popping them into their mouth to satisfy their hunger on the Sabbath day. 
And so the, the Pharisees are saying, you're sinning. This is not right. And so what does Jesus do? Does he acquiesce to their demands? Does he? No, he doesn't, does he? Um, because Jesus is concerned for caring for the needs of his disciples, but he's also caring for the needs of the Pharisees. It is not good for them to continue on thinking that the intent of the Sabbath is about rules and regulations. No, it's about helping people and loving people, giving them rest and giving them good. So he says no to that. And then in Matthew 17, 24 to 27, Jesus is accused of not paying the proper temple tax. And so what does Jesus do in this situation? Does he acquiesce? Yes, he does, actually. <laughs> he does. Uh, he explains to Peter why they don't actually owe the tax. But then he says to Peter, um, he says, but so that we may not cause an offense, go to the lake and throw out your line. Take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and you will find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for my tax and for yours. So Jesus does acquiesce. And then in Matthew chapter 11, verses 18 and 19, um, speaking of John the Baptist, John had taken vows, lifelong vows, to not drink wine and to not eat certain foods. And so Jesus says, For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, He has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, He's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her deeds. Jesus is saying that sometimes you just can't please everyone. And you know what? He says it takes wisdom. Did you catch that? He says it takes wisdom to know the difference. So let's get back to Romans 15. In verse 4, Paul tells us that the scriptures, and here he means the Old Testament, he says the scriptures were written for our instruction that we would find endurance and encouragement through the scriptures. So what Old Testament examples might we find of how people dealt with conflict? Well, I think of Abraham and Lot. Um, when their families grew too big for them to stay together and they needed some space between them, Abraham gave Lot the option, said, hey, choose the land in front of you. Which land do you want? And Lot chose the lush green pastures for his herds and left Abraham with the barren desert. Abraham gave up his rights for the sake of his family. And then I think of Moses. Moses could have, he had the right to stay within Pharaoh's family, but he chose to give up his right to be in Pharaoh's family and to be numbered with the Hebrew slaves. And then I think of Jonathan and David. Jonathan had the right to be the next king of Israel. But he was convinced that God had chosen David to be the next king. So he gave up his right. He went against his father. He was willing to give his own life for the sake of David. So we look at these, these guys and we see that they gave up a lot. But what is it that they really gave up? If we think about it for a minute, we can think, huh, it's been like a thousand years plus, couple of thousand plus more years, right? And we're still talking about the things that they did. So what did they actually give up? Well, 
they did give up their rights, didn't they? But what they gained was so much more. Because see, they glorified God by their actions. And when they glorified God, they discovered that that was their greatest good. And I really think that's what Paul is saying here in Romans 15, by telling us to look at the Old Testament as our example, is that when we look and read the Old Testament, what we discover is that the glory of God is our greatest good. It's our greatest good. So uh, let's read our last two verses together for today. In verses five and six, it says, now may the God of endurance give you comfort and unity with one another in, in accordance with Christ Jesus so that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So several years back, Crossroads was in a really hard place, in a really hard place. More than a decade ago, our senior pastor then had an affair, and it put the church into very much of a, of a tailspin. I wasn't here, that, I wasn't here then. Um, that happened several years before I was here. Before I was hired, Steve Hickson, our pastor at the time, took five months, five months to interview me before he decided that I was going to be an okay fit for here. And the reason he took all that time was because he needed to know that I understood the situation that the church was in and that it was not going to be easy. He wanted to know that I wasn't going to turn tail and run when it was really hard and painful I remember back in those days, we used to say on staff, we used to say to each other, man, I wish we could buy some momentum. It just felt like everything was so hard. Everything was hard to get off the ground. It felt like we were walking through waist deep mud all the time. The thing about it was that our, the problem was that trust had been broken and it launched us into a season of distrust where everything was questioned. Everything was under great scrutiny. And it was just a hard time. You know, we, we had very, in those days, we had very few good, healthy discussions about our differences of opinion. We were a church that talked about grace all the time. And the reality was, we had very little grace for each other in our differences. We... Um, our, our unity was just holding by threads. I remember one lady who said to me that when she visited other churches, it was so much joy in the room when people worshiped God. But that when she came here to Crossroads, you could, and we, we were gathered together to sing, there was just tension in the air. And that's what you felt was the tension. She said she couldn't imagine inviting anybody else to come here to worship. I mean, literally, there were people out in the lobby waiting for the music to be over because they didn't like it. And, and when the sermon was going on, it wasn't much better. There were people in, in the room listening for something they disagreed with. And then they would get up and walk out in the middle of the sermon. It was good times here at the Crossroads Bible Church. 
It's good times. And a lot of you here in the room remember it. You know it well. I say all of that because in verses five and six, we see the results of unity. Do you see it? They glorified God with one voice together. They came together and they didn't focus on their differences and, and their, um, the things that they disagreed with. They focused on God. And when you focus on God, all of a sudden, we realize how much we have in common together. Um, Dr. Constable was one of my favorite professors in seminary. I had him for, I think, three classes. Such a kind and gentle and humble man. I loved him so much. Um, he has a great quote on this passage. He says, the centripetal magnetism of the Lord can effectively counter the centrifugal force of individual judgment and opinion. That's pretty good, isn't it? That's pretty good. Can you see the image? Can you see the image of when we focus on our opinions and our judgments, when we focus on what we, we don't have in common? It's like a centrifuge that's spinning and it's spewing us out in all kinds of directions away from each other. But Jesus is like a magnet, and he draws us together. And here Dr. Constable is saying that the magnet is so much stronger than the spinning force that's spewing us out away from each other. So, <clears throat> after looking at this, these verses, and after this, this series of looking at the difficulty that the Roman church was having, what should we do? What should we do? Well, I've got a couple of things that I'd like to offer up as suggestions. Um, I, first of all, I think that we should pray for wisdom. The wisdom for how to deal with conflict. James 1.5 says that if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. I love this verse because it says to me that Jesus wants to help me. He wants to help me. He wants me to ask him for help. And when I ask him for help, he's generous and he's kind. He's not looking to find fault with me. The second thing I think we should do is we should hang out with wise people. Proverbs 13, 20 says, when we walk with wise, we become wise. For the companion of fools suffers harm. Wisdom is a gift that a generous God wants to give us, but we usually find it when we're walking next to wise people, seeing how they're doing it. Did you remember back in um, Neighbor's prayer, he didn't ask for the strength to bulldoze the things that he couldn't change, and he didn't ask for the grit to endure the things he couldn't change. He asked for the serenity, the peace and the acceptance for the things he couldn't change. That's what the wise do. And when we see wise people behaving that way, I mean, we're drawn to it like a magnet. We want to act that way. We learn those things from wise people. We should walk with the wise. The next thing I would say that we should do is to practice graciousness. You know, in the middle of conflict, our muscle memory takes over. Our muscle memory takes over. If we're gonna respond graciously to people, it's something we have to actually practice. Um, there's somebody that I love listening to uh, their podcast, and one of the things that is intriguing to me is that she talks about as a spiritual practice, 
She makes the habit every week of listening to a, a particular preacher that she cannot stand. She cannot stand him, and she makes herself listen to him every week. And it's exactly what this passage is in, that Paul is talking about. Until she can, in her heart, want good for him, until she can want to build him up for his good, until she can get to that place, she's going to continue to listen to him every week. How often do we do that? How often do we find avenues that we can practice graciousness? And there's no better time than like when we're driving in the car, when we're not actually face-to-face with somebody. We have to work out our muscles and train them to be gracious. The next thing that I think that we should do is don't be surprised by conflict. I mean, it's going to happen. Conflict is going to happen. It's inevitable. And it's most often the means of our growth. Do you know that? I remember years ago when Mark and I first started going to marriage counseling and the, and the counselor said to us, the fact that you have problems means nothing is wrong. <laughs> I was like, we're here because there's things wrong. And he said, no, you're supposed to have conflict. This is supposed to happen. This is what is supposed to happen to make you grow. I love what Andy Stanley says about conflict. He says that disagreement is inevitable, but disunity is a choice. The last thing I would say is that we should keep the picture of the centrifuge and the magnet in the front of our mind. We should take time to evaluate our interactions with other people. Think back, did our words and did my actions cause people to spew out from each other? Or do they help to draw people in together? Let's think about our words. Because you know what? The centrifuge force is everywhere and it has never been greater. I'm going to rattle off a list of things and I just want you to listen to them for a minute of all of the things that are avenues to divide us. Things that we um, have so much trouble with. Let's think first nationally, okay? COVID, Roe v. Wade, the Supreme Court, what to do about inflation, political polarization, Donald Trump, racism, George Floyd, what to do about school shootings. Next, let's think about the church at large. The statistics tell us that 200 plus churches in America close their doors every week. We have declining church attendance, seminaries closing their doors, record percentages of pastors thinking about quitting, the rise and fall of Mars Hill, church scandals, worship wars. Let's think about how the pandemic has affected us here in in our own community. Mask, no mask, vaccines, church online or in person, people from blue states moving into our community and changing things. Has there ever been a time in our lives when we have more fronts for division? You know, I said that last one because we literally have somebody who's visited moms together and and she said that she has found Texans to be quite hospitable people right up until the point that she mentions that she just moved from California. (laughs) She's literally having a hard time finding a church home where she feels welcomed and wanted. It's unity that heals us. It's unity 
that heals us. You know, if we think back to the Roman church and their conflict that they had, how did it end for them? Well, you know, we didn't get an update to the Romans letter, but they had a ton of reasons, not just their cultural ethnic differences. They had a lot of reasons to be disunified. But you know what? If you think back about it, Rome, the center, the hub of Christianity for more than a thousand years. Do you think they kind of got it figured out? Do you think they learned how to work together and to love each other? How else would we know about the history of the church stemming from Rome? You know, I, I, I mentioned a little bit ago about how the services at Crossroads used to feel. I am so thankful it doesn't feel that way anymore. I'm so thankful it doesn't feel that way anymore. So every Tuesday we have a worship planning meeting, you know, where we talk about who's going to run the slides and who's going to run the lights and what songs we're going to get sung and all that. This Tuesday before our, our meeting actually got started, Andrea chimed in and said that last week um, at the end of the service, she stood in the back, back there by the doors and joy flooded her soul because she could hear everyone singing. And Stephanie looked at her and said, yeah, do you remember a couple of weeks ago when we had the lighting malfunction and we had to turn the house lights on? Just a little FYI, when you're standing back there um, up on the stage, you, you literally can't see you guys at all. You're, you're looking into blackness. And so when the house lights came on and Stephanie could see your faces and she could see you worshiping, like tears filled her eyes and she had a hard time continuing to sing. It was all she could do to keep singing. Do you know that when we come together with unity, what we do is we glorify God. And that is our greatest good. When we glorify God, it is absolutely our greatest good. So it's so important that we can use wisdom to work through our conflicts because that brings us to unity. It brings us to God's glory and to our greatest good. So you know what we're going to do right now? We're going to stand and we're going to sing. <laughs> and we're going to sing like the future of the church depends on it. <laughs> Let's sing together. <laughs>